tone of this service and, and of this message has, has been slightly shifted this week because of what's happening in our country. And we certainly want to address the issues that are going on because the gospel is infinitely rele- relevant. It is completely relevant to everything that we are facing today in our country and in our world. And, and you know, it's not just about racism. And racism is real. Don't get me wrong. Racism is a serious problem. Racism is a gospel issue. Because racism is one expression of sin. But is it the only expression of sin? No. In fact, that's what we're seeing playing out tragically in these cities across our country. Not just in Minneapolis, St. Paul, but in Atlanta, in Augusta, all around. We're seeing sin on full display. We are seeing the results of a sinful human heart. A mentality that says it's us versus them. These people versus those people. Those that are in, those that are out. Republicans, Democrats, liberals, conservatives, blacks, whites, rich, poor, Methodists, Baptists, Protestants, Catholics, bulldogs, volunteers. Us versus them. We love to label people, don't we? We love to throw labels on folks to, the, to point out how they are different from us and how we are better than them and we're right and they're wrong. Vice President Dan Quayle famously said about the culture wars, it shows us versus them and I'm on the us side. Now, he was being a little tongue-in-cheek there, but that's the problem. With an us versus them mentality, we're always on the saintly us, aren't we? And other people that we disagree with who are different from us, they're part of the feared or hated them. But this isn't a new problem. In Luke chapter 9, verses 49 through 50, John came up to Jesus and said, Master, we saw someone driving out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. Don't stop him, Jesus said. For whoever is not against you is for you. I mean, even Jesus' disciples struggled with this us versus them mentality. But this wasn't a new problem then either. Let's go back even further to Numbers chapter 11, to a very similar story. It says that two men, whose names were Eldad and Medad, had remained in the camp while the rest of the people of Israel had gone over to the tent of meeting with Moses. And it says they were listed among the elders but did not go to the tent, yet the Spirit also rested on them. See, in the story, the Spirit had fallen on the tabernacle and all those around it, and they were prophesying and speaking. It was the very Pentecost Sunday kind of a moment there. But these two that stayed in the camp, the Spirit fell on them too, and they also prophesied. Well, a young man, who obviously was over there with them, ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put His Spirit on them, which is exactly what happens, by the way, on Pentecost Sunday. That's a fulfillment of what Moses is wishing for right here. And it says that Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Again, this idea of us versus them. Why do we have this inclination to fear to dislike, to even demonize those who are different from us, who are other 
than us. Where does this come from? I mean, aren't we all made in God's image? Don't we all descend from the same two people, Adam and Eve? Yes. And therein lies the problem. It's sin. We've inherited sin from Adam and Eve. The effects of sin are what we are seeing playing out right now in our country. It is part of God's curse on humanity. It's part of the effects of turning our backs on God. It started in the Garden of Eden. Separation, blame, shame, discord, distrust between Adam and Eve. We see it again between their children, Cain and Abel. And violence just became worse and worse, resulting in God's judgment through the great flood. Read the first few chapters of Genesis. It's not all that different than what we see on the news today. But you know what? Things weren't any better after the flood. God, once again, after the flood, commanded humanity, as He did Adam and Eve, to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. But once again, people defied God's commands, resulting in the story of the Tower of Babel. And that's where I want us to begin, in Genesis 11, verses 1 through 9. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the whole face of the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other's speech. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it's called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Of the great judgments we read in Genesis, Adam and Eve being cast out of the garden, Cain being sent off into the land of Nod, Noah and the flood, of all of those, this is the only one without any immediate reversal. There's no demonstration of grace. This punishment stands through all of history. We leave the story of the Tower of Babel wondering Is mankind always doomed to be scattered and divided and confused? We look at the news today, we wonder the same thing. God made humans in His image. Part of that image is our partnership with God in His creative work, especially the work of naming things and filling the earth with God's image. But at Babel, humanity sought to make a name for themselves. And rather than scattering over the earth to subdue it, they said, we're going to gather together in one place and stay here. And so if they wouldn't spread the image of God around the world voluntarily, well, then they would have to do it forcibly. And now you may be wondering, David, what in the world does this have to do with the day of Pentecost? With the day the Holy Spirit came and the church was born. Well, turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And let's read that story. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Hmm. 
They were all together in one place. That kind of sounds like what was happening in Genesis 11. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there was a saying that now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews, from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. And Peter points out, it's only nine in the morning. I love that part. This is kind of funny. But So, these events that happened on the day of Pentecost, were prophesied hundreds of years earlier by Zephaniah. Zephaniah 3.9, he said, Then I will purify the lips of the peoples, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve Him shoulder to shoulder. Pentecost was a foretaste of a day yet to come when finally the curse of sin, even God's judgment at Babel will be finally reversed forever. That day is coming when we will no longer be divided by language, tribes, and tongues. At Pentecost, the people heard the gospel preached by the apostles, each in his own language. Now, this is especially powerful, especially when we understand the Babel story in Genesis 11 as it was translated in the Greek. Now, the, the, Jesus and the apostles of his day would have had what's called the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew Bible. And so whenever you read an Old Testament quotation in your New Testament, it's from the Septuagint. It's from the Greek version, not a Hebrew, but a Greek version of the Old Testament. So if you read in the Greek, Genesis eleven seven, it says this. It says that God confuses Singeho, the people's language, glossa, so they cannot understand each other's speech, phone. So God confuses their glossa so they can't understand their phone. Now, in Acts 2, 6, God directly reverses what we just read, blow for blow. It says in Acts 2, 6 that when the multitude heard the phone of the apostles speaking in their own glossa, there was bewilderment. That's the same word for confusion. That's singeho. God in Pentecost directly reverses, at least for that day, what happened on Babel. That, I think that's awesome. That kind of stuff gets me excited. Because to the Jewish people and the Christians at the time that Acts was written, when they would have read that, they would have immediately thought of the Babel story. At Babel, God transformed a single language into many, creating confusion. But at Jerusalem, 
The Holy Spirit made it possible for many languages to be understood as one, creating unity. At Babel, God in judgment scattered. But from Jerusalem, God in grace spread the good news, which would eventually lead to worldwide unity. See, whenever God scattered people in the Old Testament, it was always an act of judgment. Always. But with the Great Commission, the scattering of God's people isn't judgment. It's grace and mercy and mission. We can summarize all this up with two phrases. The curse of sin divides. The cross of Christ unites. The curse of sin divides. But the cross of Christ unites. The day of Pentecost was the beginning of the church's mission, empowered by the Spirit. And that mission was nothing less than the reversal of the curse in Eden and at Babel. So I want us to draw out a few implications today for us from, from what we've just discovered. What does all of this mean for us today as the church, especially in the world in which we live right now? The first implication is that we have a unifying message. A unifying message. The good news of Jesus Christ is that we're all made in God's image. Everyone has equal worth and value. Amen? Even though that image has been marred by sin, God in His grace and power has made a way for all people to be forgiven and restored to fellowship with Him. Whosoever will may come. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him. There are no qualifiers there, are there? It's everyone. The image of God within humanity can be reclaimed. We can experience the unity, peace, and love that God always intended us for us to have with Him, with ourselves, with this world that God has made. In Colossians 3.11, Paul put it this way, Here, meaning in the church, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. In Christ, listen to this, in Christ there is no more us versus them. There's only Christ. Christ is is all and is in all. The same Jesus that's in me is the same Jesus that's in you. Jesus proclaimed and demonstrated this, the message through His earthly ministry that He gave us, showing us how to live, how to minister, how to begin to reverse this curse, how to break down the barriers that divide us. Let me just give you a sampling of that. Jesus asked for water from a Samaritan woman with a bad reputation. He challenged the us and them mentality with a story about a Jewish man assisted by a feared and hated Samaritan. He embraced lepers and women who were ceremonially unclean. He touched the dead and raised them to life. He challenged the religious elite by eating with sinners, prostitutes, and tax collectors and healing on the Sabbath day. He dined with the rich and the poor alike. He took the time to welcome children minister to the beggars, and even healed a servant of one of their Roman oppressors. He washed his disciples' feet, even the feet of the one who would betray him. He talked about laying down our lives 
that the first shall be last, the greatest shall be the least. He told us to seek to serve, not to be served. Don't worry about your fame or your reputation. Don't make a name for yourself. You must die to self, take up your cross daily, and follow Jesus. It is His name that we're to make great, not our own. This is the message of Jesus. And it's the message that says that while sin curses and separates, the Spirit of Christ blesses and unites. And we are no longer bound by the curse and power of sin. We have a unifying message. The gospel is for everyone. We have a unifying mission. What mission did God give people at Babel? It's the same mission He gave to Noah, the same mission He gave to Adam and Eve, to be fruitful, to multiply, and to fill the earth. What mission did God give us, the church, on the day of Pentecost? The same thing. We as Christians are to be fruitful. We're to make disciples and multiply and fill the earth. So listen, church, if we are just staying here on our own little corner or on our own little couch, wherever you may be worshiping today, if we're just tending to our own needs and wants, if we're expecting people simply to come to us, how are we any different than the people at Babel? We must not turn into Babel, trusting in our own abilities and wisdom and technology and programs and plans and methods. We especially have to resist the urge to make a name for ourselves, to worry about our image and our reputation. We must go and make disciples. And in our going, we don't just invite people to our church. We invite people to life in Christ. I read a fantastic article entitled, Why We Will Never Be a Welcoming Church Again. And you read that title, you think, well, that's kind of strange. Don't we want to be a welcoming church? The point of the article was that being a welcoming church is passive. It's sitting in one place, caring for itself, inwardly focused, but friendly. You can be inwardly focused, but friendly, can't you? That kind of a church just simply waits for people to stumble upon them. And when they do, you're really nice to them. But instead of being a welcoming church, the article said we should be an inviting church. It's not about us. It's not about our budget, our buildings, our attendance. It's not about comparing ourselves to another church in town. It's not about making a name for ourselves. It's about making a name for Jesus. The article says this. It starts with who God has called us to be, a church. It involves discovering our gifts and purpose, which we have done as a church. It mandates joining God at work in the world. This is about getting the world into God's church. It's not about getting the world into God's church. It's about getting the church into God's world. And I think what we're seeing play out in the news right now is what happens when churches retreat from God's world. And we turn inward. And we become Babel. In the Great Commission, Jesus commands us to go, to spread throughout the world, To proclaim one name, His name, not David Lambert's name, not your name, not First Baptist Church's name. We're to declare the name of Jesus. Now listen, this is extra challenging for us today because we're an online church now. And I tell you, I feel the pressure, I feel the, the pull of this. We're putting out these videos, we're broadcasting our worship. 
it, you know, I find myself looking at the stats on viewership and engagement and reach and all that stuff. People can comment about our worship services. They can like us on Facebook. They can share our posts. And there are numbers with all of that. And it's real easy to get caught up in that. So now more than ever, we have to guard against a come and watch. And some of you right now are watching. We've got to guard against this come and watch mentality and maintain a go and tell mentality. We have to avoid the trap of making this all about us and our image and our reputation online, our followers. It has to be about Jesus, His reputation, His fame, and His followers. Just as God commanded humanity in Genesis to spread throughout the world as His partners in creation, we are sent out to join God in His recreative work, going to the ends of the earth to make disciples, to teach them to obey all that He has commanded, and to baptize them in whose name? His name. Y'all, this isn't negotiable. I believe if we do not spread the gospel as we go, if we're not making disciples of the nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all He has commanded, then I believe that God in His judgment will descend, will confuse and scatter us. And many a church has closed their doors for that very reason. But this isn't just, it isn't just our message. And it isn't just our mission that unifies. Even our method has to be a reversal of Babel. Our methods should be unifying. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians. I'll put these up on the screen too. 1 Corinthians 12. Just a few verses. This is a great chapter, but just a few verses here. Beginning in verse 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. The body is a unit. It's a unit. Though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. We are all given the one Spirit to drink. And then drop down to verse 25. He says, let's go back to 24. But God has combined the members of the body, has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Pentecost, in a way, is like a second incarnation. Except this time, we are the body of Christ. The many, the diverse, become one. The us and the them become we, the church, functioning together for one purpose. This is what church membership means. When we talk about being a member of First Baptist Church, it's not like being the member of a club. It's not like being a member of a team. It's like being a member of a body. It's like being a hand, an arm, a foot, a neck, an ear, an eye. This is why the body of Christ is so beautiful, because we are so different. Just think about the diversity of gifts and talents and perspectives, and styles, and stories, all working together as necessary parts for the whole, for the sake of God's kingdom. Oh, the beauty of diversity in the midst of the unity of Christ. That's what the church should be. 
as followers of Jesus, as members of His one body, we, have we really believed and embraced this unifying message of grace? Have we? A message that says we are all made equally in God's image. doesn't matter where you come from, what you sound like, what you look like. We are all created in the image of God. It's a message that says that we are all equally sinners deserving the wrath of God. None of us are any better than anybody else. None of us. And it's a message that says that Jesus died for each and every one of us. This grace is made available to all. Have we really embraced that message? Have we truly surrendered ourselves to carrying out His unifying mission of making disciples? Taking people who are out and bringing them in? People who are dead and bringing them to the, to the prince of life? People walking in darkness? Bringing them into the light of the kingdom of the Son God loves? It's not about making people look like us, talk like us, dress like us, think like us. No, it's about helping all of us together become more like Him. He's the goal. And are we really functioning in a unifying method as one body, diverse, yet beautifully united, caring for each other with honor and love, and I'm talking about so much more than just gathering together in one space once a week for worship and Bible study. Are we doing life together? Are we ministering to each other's needs? Are we hurting with those who hurt and rejoicing with those who rejoice? Investing ourselves in each other, speaking truth into each other's lives, holding each other accountable, bridging the gaps so that people don't fall through the cracks. How long has it been since you contacted somebody from your Sunday school class and just asked how they were doing? How long has it been since you've gone through that role of your Sunday school class and prayed for the names on it? That's what I'm talking about. What about that new family that joined the church a few years ago? Have you reached out to them? We can be friendly and welcoming. That's great. But are we intentionally inviting others to Jesus and investing in their lives, especially those who are the outsiders, those who are new, those who are different. Church, whose name are we all about? Are we about making a name for ourselves or for Him? Are we willing to take up our cross, die to ourselves daily, die to our pride and our prejudices so that we can experience the unity of the fellowship of Christ? What changes are you willing to make today? What are you in need of confessing today? Who do you need to build a right relationship with today? And that starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're here, you're watching online, listening on the radio, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never experienced His grace, then, then you, you can't understand anything else we're talking about. You've got to confess your sin, turn from your sin, put your faith and trust in Jesus, rely on His grace. He will make you new from the inside out. He will bring reconciliation in your life with God. He'll begin to restore what is broken. And then you can begin to understand this peace, this love for people who are different from you. You can experience this unity that God is building around the world through His church. 
I invite you this morning to come to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Send us a comment, reach out to us and let us know that you've prayed to receive Christ or you need somebody to pray with you about that. The church here this morning and, 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 and online and on the radio, listen. Are we on the side of those who are in our world who are stirring up hatred and strife and pointing out division and differences? Or are you going to be on the side of Jesus Christ who says there is no Jew or Gentile, slave nor free, black nor white, Democrat nor Republican, for we are all one in Christ. That's what we've got to be as a church. Satan wants to use this pandemic. He wants to use this, you know, stay at home or reopen. Wear a mask or don't wear a mask. He wants get vaccinated, don't get vaccinated. You can look online and see the divisions. That's the devil. Jesus unites. It doesn't mean we have to agree on everything. That means we set aside our differences and we don't let that come between us as brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe you need to confess that. Maybe you've been just as guilty as the worst of the worst out there in your own way of bringing division instead of unity. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a song of invitation. I invite you where you are to pray. I'm going to put my mask on. If you need to come down and make a decision... I'll be here to talk with you, to receive you, and to pray. Will you pray with me?